All right, you get a double header today. And I don't mean a two-parter, like two heads. It's a duo in which when they share, you can take to the bank. (laughs) See what I did there? That you'll get something out of it. So first we have Tara Banks. As a world, as believers, as humans doing life with an iPhone, we are running at a pace that is not sustainable for our lives. If we do not take that back, like take control of our time, of what we are watching, listening to, if we don't harness that for the good, our lives are just gonna run away with us. And then Tara's husband, Greg, who's a part of the Women's World Cup winning soccer team. And I finished taping her ankle and my hands were shaking violently because I was so nervous and so filled with adrenaline at that moment. I went back to the bench. She played in the game. She kicked the winning PK to put us through to the next round. And I was like, did that just happen? And I look back and I don't remember anything very much else from that game except for that moment of going, holy cow, if she had not been in there, she wouldn't have scored. And going, that was a pretty important tape job. And obviously I had to ask a tough question or two. Did you have to work through any insecurities or even jealousy that he's spending so much time with a bunch of athletic women? I am so grateful that God protected my heart in that way. I really am. So it's Pastor Tara and Greg. Thanks. Just because I don't believe or agree doesn't mean I can't learn from you. Why did you have to bring that up? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) that one I'm super embarrassed about. (laughs) Do you like me? Do I like you? Yeah. As, a, as an individual or as, yeah, a as, as a person? No, I like you. Okay, cool. Yeah. cool. And I don't have any interest in appearing to be stronger than I am. I ain't bowed to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. He gonna leave. You feel me? How do we love people who see the world differently than we do? What would it look like if we truly loved all of our neighbors? Could listening to their stories be the first step? This is Seacoast Church, and there's way more to talk about. All right, so here's the deal. If there was a Mount Rushmore for Seacoast, Tara would have to be at least in consideration to be on that mountain. Now, for the record, we don't think about these sorts of things on Seacoast staff. It's not locker room talk. Nobody here would be comfortable with being on a Mount Rushmore. Calm down. We all know it's Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, and... um, No, Michael, the archangel. Boom. That's it. (laughs) So, all right, I'm being serious. I started coming to Seacoast in 2002, and I remember Tara leading worship. She had been here a while already, and the whole time she's been an integral part involved on the worship team, serving under worship leaders for many years and then leading many worship leaders herself. And man, that's a long time. And whether she'd admit it or not, she's left a huge imprint on Seacoast Church, especially in worship, but just in general too. And that imprint will never fade. I mean, just check it out for yourself. Take a listen. Hi, my name is Caroline Collins, and I have worked with Tara for well over 10 years now. Tara has taught me so much, both leadership-wise and personally. Leadership-wise, she has taught me that it is so important to cultivate a culture and create an atmosphere where everybody has a seat at the table, everybody has an equal voice within the Capital C Church. Personally, she has taught me a lot about you will find healing to the degree that you're willing to put the work in. So the discomfort that comes with that, um, you have to go the extra mile to experience full healing and full peace. And that affects everybody around you. So it's, it's worth it to put the work in. It's Micah Nichols. I've worked with Tara for 15 years. One thing that I have learned from her is how to remain present. Present being truly experiencing what God wants you to experience in every moment, even the hard moments. Seeing the contrast, seeing the light and the darkness um, when things are tough, but then also when things are good, just stopping and just enjoying it. I mean, there are so many times that something amazing would happen and Tara would be like, hey, wait, let's really talk about this and celebrate it. Being present in rest and not being worried about what's coming tomorrow, but actually just being disconnected and being with my family or being with myself. Tara is really an incredible leader, has so much wisdom, and I want to be way more like Tara. Hi, 
my name is Krista Mabry and I have worked with Tara for about four and a half years. Something that I just look up to in Tara, as she has said always, that leaders eat last. And that doesn't just go for like eating in line. That is leaders have the servant heart. Like we want to make sure our people are good before we proceed. Um, and I just love that stance. And two, Tara makes you feel like the most important person in the world to her when she's engaging with you. You know, she does not get distracted on her phone. She doesn't, you know, look around. She is just completely intentional whenever she is with you. And that is such a huge leadership quality. It just makes everybody feel important. It just makes you want to serve under her and what a leader she is. I've gained so much from her. This is Garrett Abel. I've had the privilege of working alongside Tara for nearly 16 years. Our journey started as co-worship leaders, and I later became under her pastoral leadership. And now, in a twist of God's plan, I serve as her worship pastor. I've absorbed countless lessons from Tara, but one of the most profound lessons she taught me, Tara always asked us about our dreams and how she could help make them come true. She dedicated the majority of her time to supporting, challenging, resourcing, and encouraging us often placing our aspirations ahead of her own. Through her actions, she taught me that true leaders prioritize their team above themselves. The ultimate achievement for a leader is witnessing their team reach their own goals and dreams. Tara, thank you for this invaluable lesson and the example you have and continue to set. With Tara writing her devotional, Waiting for Wonders, that released earlier this year. I thought, let's get the legend here on this podcast. So here's some of her story and a bit about the book. Now, this just keeps getting better and better. You heard up top her husband, Greg Banks, who of no fault of his own, by the way, is not as much of a big deal in, in around these parts, is actually a very big deal for the U.S. National Women's Soccer Team. That's right, man. As one of the personal trainers traveling around for years with the team, even during their World Cup winning year. What? So on Seacoast Podcast in general, we we do some theological deep dives. We debate some things, but sometimes we just chill, cut up, and focus on someone's story. And that's what we're doing today. And I'm pretty sure you're going to love hearing it. I know I did. Well, it's funny, Tara, you know, I've been on staff for 18 years and our staff is small enough to where we all feel like family. Right. Now there's a lot of people now and I'm sure you feel the same way. It's just gotten so big. There's a lot of people I don't even know. Same. So I feel family with you, but it's a big enough staff to where I don't really know you that well. Right. And then Greg, you actually walked me through an injury. I don't know if you remember that or not, but I I tell you what, I I feel like God really hooked it up because I was at a soccer practice and they were like, "Hey parents, won't y'all come into this I, I mean, I went all out. And when I was talking to you on the phone, I could barely walk. And then I got up in the morning and it was like totally fine. So, I mean, I'm thinking maybe like a supernatural healing. <laughs> Much better than the other way. <laughs> yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you a memory that I have, Tara, of you. We were going to a conference and I, if I have a visual correct, it seems like it was in a, a big van, but that doesn't seem, I, I, I don't know if we ever took big vans to conferences. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, but, I'm remembering but it's so a big fun. van yeah. with Joey in it. Yeah, yes. it's, it's so funny how you can learn so much about a person from the first interaction, like not not the deepest parts of anyone. But I remember asking you, I was like, so Tara, how long have you been at Seacoast? And your answer was something along the lines of, oh, like 1,278 years. I was like, okay, I kind of <laughs> <kinda> get her. <laughs> yep. and, and then that same conference, and this to me is like a, is a really sweet memory. I remember how you and Pastor Greg were interacting. And I was like, you can tell that those two have been doing ministry mm. for a very long time because it really felt like a fatherly sort of relationship. Like you could just feel something coming off of Pastor Greg, like, 
this is my homie and mm-hmm. don't mess with her. I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, you could just tell it was like a little fatherly feel. Like what has it been like working with Pastor Greg for so long? And how long have you, how long have you been here? 1,273 <laughs> years. Okay. Yes. So that was the correct answer. Absolutely gotcha. correct answer. Gotcha. Then and now. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. No, so I. Have you uh, seen The Green Mile? The, the movie? So Have I seen The Green Mile? I'm asking. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Me and Priscilla have the same sort of deal. I have no idea. In fact, I can watch a movie for the second time because I like watching movies for the second time and and not even tell Priscilla that she's seen it before and she'll just enjoy <laughs> it for the first time, but she's actually seen it. Anyway, I asked that because of Mr. Mr. Jangles and the mouse and okay. then the main character lived for a really long time. So I was just wondering if, if you came into contact with Mr. Jangles. I have and, not come into contact directly with Mr. Okay. Jangles. But, but you are over a thousand years old. I'm over a thousand years okay. old for sure. Wow. Um, yeah, Let's so just talk about that pretty for, good for over a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so actually this year, Greg and I, my, my Greg and I yes. um, are 30 years at Seacoast. Um, so we showed up here as college kids. Wow. And so, so y'all, y'all showed up here as a couple, like a dating couple. Yes. By the time we arrived at Seacoast, we were dating. Okay. Yes. But okay. just fresh dating. Right. We had not been dating. What is that supposed to mean? I don't want to get into fresh dating. What's that? Not like we are now. Now we're like old dating. (laughs) But we were fresh dating then. Uh, But yeah, so uh, I mean, 30 years at Seacoast. And you were, I'm pretty sure, so Priscilla and I just, uh, we we were just attending for Mm -hmm. like our first year and that would have been in 2002. Were you leading worship at that point? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, because it was, there wasn't too many people leading at the time. It was you, Jan Radikoff and maybe another person, but I'm pretty sure that I remember. Yep. So I've been 20 years on staff. Yeah. Uh, The the first 10 years, it was just volunteering dream team. And yeah, it's been Really precious to watch yeah. the church go from 150, 200 people when Greg and I first started to now what it is. Right. And you're right, getting to do a lot of that with Pastor Greg and mm-hmm. getting to see kind of him and his leadership in all of those stages yeah. has been really, it's been really incredible. Really has. Yeah. And I would agree, you know, I, I feel like. You're not supposed to have favorites, but I feel like I'm one of Pastor Greg's favorites. There you go. There you go. Hey, that's all right. I mean, I'm just going to say it. When you think about Pastor Greg, what do you you feel like? Spiritual father? Spiritual father, for sure. A friend. Right. For sure. An advocate. Someone I know that he is on my side. Yeah, he uh, just made sure. a lot of people jealous. <laughs> for sure. I know. He's on my side. I'm, I, I'm, hey, here's the scary part is that you and I are now some of the— we're, we're supposed to be the wiser ones that people are. are looking up to. Now, that's scary. That's scary <laughs> like, scary I remember stuff. being the youngster where I was looking up to all these guys. Oh, yeah. I was like, wait a second. I'm— Turning forty-seven yes. years, forty-six yes. years old, I'm the guy now. That- yes, yes. No, I very much remember being the youngest person on the team for sure, and now being the oldest person on the team for sure. <laughs> so, y'all have how many kids? We have two boys, two boys, and a daughter. A daughter in love. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Twenty-two and sixteen. Twenty-two and sixteen. All right. Well, I asked y'all to prepare some. Answers to questions. Did y'all do your homework? We're just gonna have we a little. Fun. We're gonna have a little fun here. So if I asked Greg right now, let's just make sure people know Greg Banks is Tara's husband. Yes. So we have Tara and Greg. We have moved on from Pastor Greg Surratt. Yes. Oh, can I tell a funny story <laughs> yeah. though about yeah. that? Okay. Yeah, so I was very new to my role here in Mount Pleasant when I stepped in as the worship pastor for this campus, Mount Pleasant campus, and very new to my role and just wanting to do a good job mm-hmm. and make everybody happy, um, a recovering people pleaser. And um, I got a text. What I saw was, you know, Greg, mm-hmm. and it said, hey, this weekend, I think you should do such and such song. Well, I'm thinking that it is my husband. And so I pop off really quickly and totally joking, since when do you start planning my worship sets? <laughs> Did you just glance? You saw just Greg? Glanced, just, yeah. just glanced at it, just saw Greg, and just since when do you, you know, plan my worship sets? And it all went like no, like no response. And I was like, well, that's weird. And so a few minutes later, I get another text that says, 
since I have become your senior pastor. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. I came sprinting down here to his office. Oh, I'm that so is sorry. Funny. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Did, did he think you were just having a really bad day? No, no. He cracked up laughing. He thought it was hilarious. He was like, you talk to your husband like that? It was really funny. All the time. <laughs> it was really funny. So ever since then, Pastor Greg and my phone is now and forever PG. <laughs> And then husband is Greg to avoid confusion. Oh, that is great. I'll tell y'all a funny story that our listeners will enjoy as well. So when I was working at the West Campus, Ron Hamilton... I, you know, technology was going pretty quickly. I mean, I was in college when the internet really mm-hmm. started to take form. And so I, I made a calendar appointment and I, and I promise it, it did not have anything to do with what it sounded like, but I was working on some quality time with Priscilla. And so what we would really enjoy doing is like reading a book together in bed or uh, watching a movie or something like that. So I put on my calendar thinking that it was just for for Priscilla and I, and it went to the whole staff <laughs> Priscilla and Joey bedtime or some <laughs> bedtime fun or something like that. Everyone's like, what in the world, Joey? Like, oh we don't gosh. need to know that kind of stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. So what's Greg's favorite food? One of them. Chocolate. 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 Oh, he is, I'd say it's, it's probably a close tie between chocolate and barbecue. Whoa. Barbecue pork? Or just anything barbecue? Uh, probably barbecue pork. Yeah. Because in the South, we say, hey, we're having a barbecue. It could be hot dogs. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> so true. Barbecue pork. Pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. What, do you have uh, to keep, a, can, get like some self-discipline there for being such a health guy? Probably. But I think the main thing for, for me was that like I have a terrible sweet tooth. So yeah. I had to become specific with one thing. And I do an annual discipline where I give up something for an entire year and I gave up chocolate one year, and I think that was the most miserable year Dang. of my family's life because <laughs> so, it was really, really hard. Yeah. All right. How about her? We could go meal by meal. I would say probably if we went meal by meal, she would say avocado toast from headed downtown to the daily for avocado toast. And then a charcuterie board. I always win points with that one when that's <laughs> on the table when yeah. she comes home. Oh, is but he a good cook? He, he actually is a yeah. good cook. Anytime we eat out. Um, she's going to go petite filet. That's going to be the last one that she chooses. So you guys are officially not vegetarian. We're not. We'll eat vegetarian, (laughs) but we will definitely pound some barbecue and some steak for sure. Vegetarian is an old Indian word that means bad hunter. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. All right. What would be one or two of his favorite actors or actresses? So Greg is a... 007 fan, ah. all the way back to the originals. So I would say he's a a Sean Connery, a Daniel Craig, not a Roger Moore, right? No way. No. It, who's he, the most recent? No, mm-hmm. he was, uh, you'd have to help me here. He was babe. a bad series. Of, <laughs> <laughs> a bad series of 007. A 007. Do a lot of 007 fans agree, or is that just your thing? They would say there's probably two that are really good, yeah. and that you find it by age and when you grew up. So people that grew up in an era of when Pierce Brosnan was at, that's who they thought he was. Gotcha. But if you went back and watched the old ones, you'd be like, mm, not so sure. Gotcha. Daniel Craig is the most, he's the closest to Ian Fleming's novels of what he looked like in the books. And I think it's not a coincidence that Greg Banks and Daniel Craig favor each other ever so slightly. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. How about hers? Mrs. Banks does not watch TV or movies all that much. So she used to be a big Meg Ryan fan back in the day. Old school. Where does she go, by the way? It's just like all of a sudden she's She disappeared gone. and, yeah. yeah, she had a lot of work done. Uh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, so she just pointed to your face. I did. did. (laughs) Yeah, so that was her favorite in terms of what she would watch when she would watch, but it's very rare that she watches movies or even TV for that matter. So, yeah, Uh, Meg Ryan. Uh, Yeah, but I mean, it would have to be something really old. It'd have to be a, you know, You've Got Mail Mm -hmm. or French Kiss, French Kiss, or one of her. She Harry Met Sally also. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm Sleepless in Seattle, too? Yes. Okay. Gosh, she was some major, major rom-coms. Holy cow. And then just disappeared off the face of the planet. Was there any, like, problems of any sort? I don't know. know. Yeah, I don't either. That's a a I don't really keep up with with Meg. You're not not a Meg fan club kind of thing. (laughs) 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 All right. If Greg had a completely free day, 
what would it look like? So he would sleep in, but for Greg sleeping in, instead of waking up at 4.45, that means like maybe 5.15. Oh, wow. Um, he's sleeping in. What is sleeping in to you? If I get a seven, that's a great move. Dang. Yeah. So he would sleep in a little, as much as he, his body would allow him to sleep in. Right. He would probably, under the cover of darkness, head out to a shooting range somewhere for target practice. Mm-hmm. Then he would, he might stop by... Um, chocolate factory of some sort. <laughs> chocolate factory of some sort for lunch. <laughs> What's the uh, Red Drum burger place, the Rocket Burgers? Oh, Rocket Burgers. He might have a Rocket Burger for lunch. Yeah. And then, again, he's he's probably going to want barbecue with some incredible chocolate, yummy dessert. All right. Is that about right? Yeah. Oh, and then he would he would definitely wrap up the night with a movie, which would include popcorn and milk duds. Nice. And a Coke. Nice. We could hang if we weren't both so introverted. I would imagine. Are you an introvert? Yeah, as long as you can watch paint dry and grass grow, <laughs> we're going to go on great. So let me take a guess. Everything she said, if you had to do all of that by yourself, no problem at all. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> wouldn't be a problem for me either. Hey, you give me my free day and all my favorite things, I'll do it by myself. No problem. I'll watch a movie at the theater by myself. I don't care. Totally. Yeah. I'm very, very much so introverted. I'm an outgoing introvert. All right. How about hers? She would sleep in. What's sleeping in for you? Um, These days, I mean, if I could sleep till nine, that would be nice. Yeah, Yeah, that that would be be sleeping in for me too. So sleep in, then when you get up. She has a Jeep CJ, 1973. She would go out in that, probably go get breakfast somewhere and a, a coffee, and then head to the beach, hang out at the beach for a little while. Come back, take a nap. Ooh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a professional sleeper. I am too. I love naps. Yes, yeah, so the nap part. Just trying would be to follow huge. Jesus. He yeah. was a napper. Yes. Yep. Come back. She would sleep, and then have her boys bring her food and just recover from her hard day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a terribly hard day. How would you want to wrap up the night if you're not a movie watcher? Um, Do you read books? I would want to just be near Greg. Gotcha. Even if he's watching a movie, I just, like, I'm not interested in the movie. I just want to hang with him. So whatever he's doing. And that's not like a real lovey-dovey answer. It's just like quality time mm-hmm. is really high on my importance level. Yeah. So I would just want to be near him, whatever yeah. he's doing. All right. So kind of more the serious side, what would y'all say is the biggest challenge, big picture-wise? If you looked at your marriage, what would have been the biggest challenge? Y'all Ships can- in the night, probably. Yeah. yeah. That's the hardest thing. That's what? The heart ships in the night that uh-huh. we're just passing one another and don't. Gotcha, so gotcha. My job from an athletic training standpoint on the fields late at night, um, game coverage on the weekends, early exit from the building in the morning to go yeah. to work, and then coming home at dark and stuff like that. A lot of years of just not the same type of quality of time that we right. had dreamed of. And then putting the boys and the family into the mix made it a little harder. Oh, yeah. So um, finding that quality time and making – us a priority is probably the probably the most difficult thing that yeah. we've gone through. Which is a really big deal for someone whose quality time is one of their big things. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, I have uh I've known couples who've had similar setups where the husband is gone a lot and they have a good marriage, but there is zero problem because the the wife is like, Oh, no big deal. But for someone who's into quality time, that's a real big deal. Yeah. And I think partnered with that. Because we're both really introverted, communicate like communication yeah. um, about all of those things has been tricky for us too. Yeah. You know, and saying like, "Hey, I really actually do need to spend more time with you," or "Hey, we like we haven't seen each other in mm-hmm. two weeks." You know, like we really should spend some time together. But because we're introverted, we tend to not talk right. about those things. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I remember getting some marital counseling, Priscilla and I, and. Basically, what it boiled down to is I was so blind to how little quality time we were spending. That mm. that was the crux of everything, mm. was she was just starving for more time. And I just didn't realize it because, you know, for me, quality time can just be being in the same room, not really talking. But for her, it's like getting to deeper levels and, right. and all that. All right. Well, speaking of being one of the wiser ones at Seacoast, <laughs> tell us about this book. It's a pretty recent deal, right? It is, yeah. Released in March. Uh, It's called Waiting on Wonders. It's a 40-day devotional. And I wrote it out of actually kind of an aha moment that I had that I realized that I could stand on a platform on the weekends leading worship and or I could 
sit in a small group or in a Bible study or whatever, and I knew the path to God's presence in those moments. I knew the path to God's presence when I was reading my Bible or when I was, um, you know, maybe having a, a chat with a girlfriend or whatever. But could I access God's presence in those same ways in just an everyday normal moment? Mm. It was very eye-opening to me because it made me stop and think. Yeah. I'm not sure that I am experiencing God's presence. If you're in line at the in, I'm uh, in, DMV. If I'm in line at the DMV, <laughs> I'm not I'm not hanging out with the Lord in yeah. the same way that I am on the weekend mm. on a platform or at a Bible study or whatever. And so I started journaling and writing down some of those moments where I felt like that I could experience God's presence in just normal moments mm-hmm. and compiled it into a little 40-day devotional. That's cool. So it's been an unexpected journey. I never intended to write a book, mm-hmm. but I really believe that the message is for now and for people like me whose life is pretty fast-paced and need to take the time to slow down and experience God's presence yeah. in just normal moments. Kind of getting into a more deeper theological space. You know, I, I kind of come from a school of thought for me personally, where, and it's only because from experience, there's been times where I was just certain that God was speaking about something. I mean, just mm-hmm. so clear to the point where it almost feels like God telling Abraham, sacrifice your son, but that was never the plan. I almost feel to this day, I think God still told me that, but I know that it was not supposed to come to pass. But I've never been a Moses coming from the mountain, thus saith the Lord. I I think there's always a chance that we're not hearing correctly, but there have been times where I'm totally convinced personally, you know, 99.9%. But is that something that has gotten easier for you over the years is the discernment part of mm-hmm. when God is speaking? Like if you compare 20-year-old Tara to mm-hmm. Tara now, mm-hmm. is that something that just took practice? I, yes, absolutely. And it's just like you practice anything, you know, with Greg's athletes, the more that they practice, mm-hmm. the better they they get at things. And it truly just is a practice. And the more you become aware of God's presence in situations, the more you recognize Him Mm. in situations. So like the example that I always give is, it's like when you get a car that is, you know, new to you or whatever, you start seeing that car everywhere and you had never seen it before. It's that same way with experiencing God's presence. It's like once you start recognizing Him here and here and here, it's like, oh, like you start seeing Him in everything. It's not that He's all the sudden there and He wasn't there before. It's just you have a greater awareness of it. And I feel like that has been the journey that I've been on for the last 20 years is just opening my eyes. He's been there all along. And people are, you know, experiencing the Lord all the time around me all the time. But I personally am just now having a greater awareness of His presence and His activity in my day-to-day living that I didn't have before. And it's just a, a practice. It's just a discipline of just opening your eyes. Do you have any practical advice for people that just have a hard time slowing down? Is it is it one of those you just got to do it? You just sort of have to do it. There's no like three-step plan because everybody's quote slowing down looks different for them um based on your temperament and you know whatever but I What do you do? How do you slow down? I literally open my eyes. Yeah. I mean I I I literally will stop physically stop whatever I'm doing and I actually take a deep breath and sometimes out loud but most of the time in my brain, I'm just like, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Because I have to quiet all the commotion in my brain, you know, clear off my desk physically if I need to, but just be like, Lord, what do you want to say right now? Like, I know you're in this moment. I know you... I know you're with me. I know mm-hmm. you got. I know you got stuff for yeah. me. Do you have set times where you do that, or it's just kind of like, uh, wait a second, I need to slow down. I mean, there are times where it gets critical, and then yes, but I try. I mean, I do. I, I spend time with the Lord um, every day, but this would be just sort of like in the in between moments. Gotcha. This would be, you know, in the car yesterday. I was talking with a friend um, on the phone, and I just was like, hey hang on just a second, let me, and I I just kind of felt this moment where I was like, I felt like the Lord wants to say something right now in this situation, but I'm not, like, I've got too much going on. So I was like, let me call you back. Yeah. <laughs> I think you just have to do it. You just have to slow yourself down. There's really no, like, magic. Th- and these are your three steps to slow down. You know, what's interesting is there's 
science out there, we're talking from the perspective of people who don't believe in God, who would say people that do believe in God and have prayer practices like that, they kind of lump it in with meditation and stuff. And Mm so secular science would say, even though we don't believe in God, people that do believe in God and do those practices, it is a beneficial thing. Just the mere slowing down. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously you and I believe in God and, and the right. power of God and, and partnership with the Holy Spirit, but there is something to just slowing down. Yes. And we are, as a world, as believers, as humans, doing life with an iPhone. We are running at a pace that is not sustainable mm-hmm. for our lives. And if we do not like take that back, like take control of our time, of what we are watching, listening to, see, like if we don't, if we don't harness that for the good, mm-hmm. our lives are just going to run away with us, yeah. and we're going to get to the end of our days and look back and be like, like mm-hmm. what did I do with what did I do with my life? Yeah. <laughs> kind of, and it is this purposeful slowing that we we must do you know like we i forget who who said it there's an author that talks about is it the 3 mile an hour god or the 4 mile an hour god but it's the pace of walking right but jesus was never in a hurry he was on mission he had very important things to do but he was never in a frantic hurry to do anything mm-hmm. and if we as believers are going to pattern our lives after Jesus, then part of that is patterning our life after that slow, intentional, getting stuff Mm -hmm. done for sure, but just being intentional and really slowing down. Yeah, and what's so twisted is that it's actually a bragging point nowadays oh, of how busy sure. we are. And sure. what, what I think is so interesting is what you said as, as far as you, you get to the end of your life. I think some of the most productive people who got the most done at the end of their life will be, what did I do? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm kind of a productivity sort of person. Like I, 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 there's always something that I could be getting done. And I, I in my 40s, I have actually trained myself to take hold of coming home and just being free Mm -hmm. to hang and take a deep breath, enjoy the sunshine, playing basketball with the kids. You know, it's not like I was an absent father before that, but actually putting my whole self into it because that's valuable. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I'll be the first to admit, anybody that knows me knows that I love a good project. Mm -hmm. I love, you know, I love to be on, what would you say, babe? Like moving, moving and shaking. Yeah. I mean, so don't, let me give you the picture that I'm like. Is it natural for you? This is not natural yeah. for me, and this, and which is why it is a discipline that I have had to develop in my own life. Mm-hmm. All, you know, all said, I feel that I feel that inner struggle of like wanting to get some stuff done, yet realizing that the better thing is that sort of stillness. Mm-hmm. I think we've been fed a lie that busy is a good thing. Yes. That, that Finding that rhythm of life where everything's going topsy-turvy, I mean, things break down when it's going that fast. And if you're not grounded in something that keeps you the wheels in alignment to where you're supposed to be going, that lie of saying busy is good is, I mean, I see it all the time in sports world Mm -hmm. for kids that are going, parents that have three kids playing on three different teams, traveling to three different locations. And I'm like, how do you breathe? How do you do that side of life where you're basically a taxi cab driver and you're hauling your children around and do they really love what they're doing or are you just taking them there because that's the busy thing to do Mm -hmm. just to keep your kids involved in the sports. And we took that stance with our child when he was playing instead of putting him at a level where he was training three to four days a week, we said, we're going two days a week because it's more important that we have our time together and making that a priority for us as a family to have meals together and Mm -hmm. to sit down rather than three nights a week, he's coming in at seven or eight o'clock at night and eating by himself or whatever that might look like. He still had the desire to play in college, and he did, but it wasn't one of those things where we had to kill ourselves to get to that. But we continue to progress in a way that says, keep pushing, keep moving, give me into people just break down, and they break down both physically, mentally, emotionally, and then mm-hmm. spiritually. It's a challenge just to say, how do you slow down? Right. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard a pastor, uh, in a conversation, a pastor told me, man, this week, some, I've got to do something every single night. And I just, I, mm-hmm. I didn't have the sort of friendship to say something like this, but I'm thinking, well, that's on you. 
Are you, are you complaining? I mean, is who's making you do that? Right, right, right. <laughs> Something sure. that was really crazy for me, I was watching a documentary on, it was a newer documentary on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and still have the utmost respect for him. I mean, I think he sold all of his MVP trophies and all that, you know, to give to good causes and stuff. A really, really good dude. But man, this stopped me dead in my tracks. He started talking about his kids, how much he loved him, and then just said so matter-of-factly, I'm more like an uncle. Mm. And I was like, Mm. gosh. I mean, he's considered, some people would consider him the greatest of all time. He's considered one of the greats. Was that worth it? Mm. You know, and and I think about that, that kind of is most athletes. Like to really excel in a professional league, it it seems as if you do have to sacrifice your family in in some sort of ways. I don't know. I don't yeah. know, but that was a crazy one. How did you get your job with the top women soccer team in the United States of America? How'd you stumble on that one? Yeah, it truly was a stumble. Um, I'd been involved from an early age with soccer and loved the game. I was taking care of the College of Charleston soccer team when I was in school. And so our outreach program that we had with the company was to go out in the community and provide medical services for sporting events. And I had heard that the national team was training over on Daniel Island. They're going to play a match against um, Mexico here at the old Blackboard Stadium. And so I just went out, introduced myself, and I said, hey, you guys are in town. If you need anything, connection with physicians and stuff like that, just trying to be an outreach program. And he said he didn't need anything, but he thought that the Mexico team needed some help because they had five Mexican-American players that were playing on the team that were playing in college and didn't have the same type of medical care. So he's like, go talk to their coach. So I did. And so for my first round with U.S., I was against them. And I was on the bench for the game here for the Mexico team. And somehow the Lord just opened the door for that. They um, had a, a what they call an ID camp. They had a bunch of players that came out in January for the U21 team, which is basically the college program. And I worked with them for that camp, didn't know what I was doing out in California and came back. And I was like, I don't even know how I performed in that one. Yeah. And they were like, hey, we want you to go to England and Scotland with us. And so did that for six months. Um, this was, is how many years ago? It was 16, 17 years ago. Okay. Um, was at a tournament with them in Norway and got a phone call from the general manager of the women's team and said, hey, can you come out to a camp for us in California? We're getting ready for the World Cup and we need someone to come out and be at that camp. And I did it. And they selected me to go do the game in New York and never looked back. Dang. So. And were, were you sharing in the excitement or was it oh, mixed yeah. emotions as far as knowing what this would amount to? Well, we didn't, and you didn't know? we'd have any idea okay. what it would amount to. I mean, I was super excited and very starry eyed. Like I couldn't, I just couldn't believe that he had been given an opportunity mm-hmm. to, to be a part of the women's national team. And, but we didn't have any idea what, what that road would look like for sure. Yeah, I was coaching the helping to coach the Wando girls soccer team, and so I've been doing that for about seven years. So that was there was no heart's desire to even do that, other than to be a resource to them when they came to town. And then all of a sudden, you got put into a position. You're like, hey, we want you to keep coming back and be a part of this mix. And yeah, it was a special special gig for. Yeah. Uh, 16 years is the first time in 16 years that I will not have been a part of World Cup. So dang, I, I'm really not up to school with with soccer. So what's what's yeah. the farthest they've gone when you were a part of their organization? Um, so I have a couple of World Championship medals. We won the dang. World Cup in 2019 in France. I have a silver medal from Germany in 2011. Went to Tokyo for the Olympics in 2021. So yeah, I've been a part of some pretty cool events. Yeah, and seeing the team go from one level to another level as it keeps getting more and more popular, and so all because of your expertise, right? You, of you, course, you, you got their bodies in shape, yes. yeah, to be able to do that. Awesome, good work, Greg. Thanks. <laughs> I, I, as a sports fan, I'm really curious about some stuff. Would the rules apply like when I'm watching a football game and the guys are running out there? It could, can you can you make the jump to soccer too when it comes to your profession? Yeah, it's the same thing. Someone so, gets hurt. Same thing you see in an NFL game or a college football game. Someone gets hurt. Same type of people going out on the field to assess what's going on with the injury. And so, what's the protocol when you're running out on the field? Like, what's the first thing that you do? Do you ask where where do you hurt? Yeah, that's the first thing. The cool thing about the national team is that there's four of us, and there's people up. We have earphones. Someone up in the booth is seeing what's happened on a replay. By the time we get out there, and we're hearing in our ear, it's our knee, it's our head, something like that. 
So we have a general idea, and typically you go out there with a physician and athletic trainer. The athletic trainer starts the conversation asking what's going on, what's hurting, and then from there, just make a general assessment whether or not it's safe to move them. Are they going to be able to go? Communicating back to the bench, let them know whether or not they have to have a sub. We get to figure out the first line of defense of whether they can go back. But did you, so you got to see him like run out on the field when a player was injured? All the time. I tell I, I have I have told him for years that he is the most watched athletic trainer in all of history, probably. I have more pictures of my television where I have taken photos of my television of him on the field. So. I bet you it's like NASCAR thing. It's like, I don't want to see a player get no. hurt, but I get to see my husband well, on TV. I, I would always say, I just want him to get hurt just a little bit. Just a, just a little Or maybe bit. just a scare and get hurt at <laughs> just all. Just so I could see him. Yeah. Are there ever any situations where you're right on the edge of having to give your expertise to say she can't continue, but maybe the risk is so low to where you don't have to kind of put your foot down and a player gets to give some input? Like, are there any situations where it's like, hey, here's here's my recommendation? At the prof- How does that work? Yeah, at the professional level, there's a certain... I guess the players have a little bit of a say in it. If it's something that's going to be a detriment to their career long term, then we'll overrule them. But I mean, we've had situations where players get hurt. They're saying, I'm totally fine. I can go back in the game. And we're like, no, you can't. Mm-hmm. You, you're out. And that's hard for them because they don't understand that you're looking out for their best interest. But for the most part, it's pretty easy to say whether they should or shouldn't. And then it's sometimes it gets situational to the game and you're going, no, this is something they may have really done something bad to their finger, but they play with their feet. So, no, I think this is one we can fight through, tape it up and deal with it when we get done. So it's something similar to that. But you always put yourself at risk when you're not looking after the health of the player instead of putting the game what's first. And that's my responsibility to put the W and the loss aside and go, what's the most important thing for this person's health? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you that too. Like, you're invested in the team in a different way than fans. I mean, would you even consider yourself like in the fan category when it comes to the women's soccer team? Now I am. Now I'm a fan um, watching it. Um, I think that during the time, I think Tara would say she would see me smiling or laughing on the bench. But for the most part, I mean, it's nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. The most nervous I've ever been was in the World Cup in 2011 and one of our players got hurt we'd already had a player that was red carded so we were down a player and we were losing to brazil if we lost we were coming home and one of our um, better players sprained her ankle i'm assessing it goes she comes out of the game we're down a sub and this could be really bad for going home and i remember taping her ankle when i finished i mean right there on the sidelines the game's still going on that means we're two players down so now we're playing with nine And I finished taping her ankle and my hands were shaking violently because I was so nervous and so filled with adrenaline at that moment. I went back to the bench. She played in the game. She kicked the winning PK to put us through to the next round. And I was like, did that just happen? And I look back and I don't remember anything very much else from that game except for that moment of going, holy cow, if she had not been in there, she wouldn't have scored. And going, that was a pretty important tape job. Yeah, And so... (laughs) It's those type of moments where you just go, yes, I'm a fan that I want them to succeed and do well. Because you care about them, too. You care about them. They become like family. I mean, I was was gone for 26 weeks. Mm -hmm. I saw them more than I saw my boys at times. So it's like you're invested and you want to see them do well. Yeah. Now, how is the accountability set up if you were to say, hey, she really shouldn't go back in? Can a coach say... I'm sorry, or, or you, you're the one in charge when it comes to their health. The physician, the team physician is. Okay. So the physician and the athletic trainer will collaborate, and then the physician um, has the ultimate say. It's very, uh, I, don't, I can't say that with our team that that has ever been an overturn. Have you ever been a part of a career-ending injury, like seen it happen and oh, sure. like made that yeah. assessment? Yeah, I've seen it. people that have torn their ACLs, and they never came back from it. We had a player that was supposed to go to the World Cup in 2011. She tore it on the send-off series game before we were supposed to go. And like right before you're leaving to go to Germany for the World Cup and she tore her ACL and that was the end of her career. Man. All right. Well, give us one or two things, a, a kind of a weirder question, I guess. But what's a couple of things we may have misconceptions about the bones and muscles. But first, I want to brag on, check this out, the stuff that I remembered from school. Ligaments 
connect the bones to each other, the tendons connect the bones to the muscles. Correct. Boom. Look at you. Look out. I don't think you need any more answers Look from out. me. <laughs> That's Anatomy 101. You're doing great. And you pass. <laughs> yeah. I think the main thing is, is that as we get from a young age, teenagers, the muscles and tendons can't pace with the bones. So bones grow faster than that. So that's why we get super tight when we're young and growing fast. And sometimes that never goes away, that they never catch up. And so when we're uh, older, someone's stiff and tight and it's because their bones got really long, really quick and the muscles and tendons couldn't keep up with the pace dang. and they didn't keep up with the stretching. And it's pretty played. important for people my age to be stretching daily. Yes. I cannot touch my toes, Greg. I cannot touch my Most toes. Most people can't. Most Okay. And that makes me feel better because I, I hate stretching. Like I love the stretch. This comes natural. That feels good. Yes. But to actually say I'm going to devote 15 minutes to stretching. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. And a few minutes out of, when you're out of the shower, when the body's warmed up, that's probably the best time to do it to get gains and to make improvements. And if I and if I only spent five minutes, would it would you say concentrate on just trying to touch your toes? Most people deal with low back pain and low back issues and stuff like that when yeah. their hamstrings and stuff are tight. So focusing on that that helps out a lot. I would say that that's a good starting point. All right. So as as a Clemson fan, I was like, I got to ask Greg this. I remember Deshaun Watson's freshman year. He tore his ACL. I'm pretty sure. I think it was the game right before Clemson. Carolina. Mm -hmm. And the assessment was he tore it, but the injury can't get worse than what it is. And he could play and he actually played against Carolina. Does that ring a bell with what the situation was? As yeah, far I remember as, that one. Yeah. Do you remember that? Were you like, this is insane. They should not be playing him. I might've approached it a little different. Yeah. <laughs> We needed to break that. We needed to break that Carolina curse so bad is like he's playing. <laughs> Let me translate. That's Greg saying, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that was a way of managing the fan base to say, well, it can't get any worse? Well, I mean, you put them in a brace, they're able to do a lot more than they could do without the brace. And most of those athletes are such a high level that physiologically they can handle more than we can, the average Joe. And so he probably could handle a lot more, but he still puts himself at risk for making things worse because that ligament prevents your knee from doing certain things. And if it's not there, your knee can do things that can make it worse. Uh, but they, they had him in a brace, so it helped and prevented it a little bit. And then I guess if you got to beat Carolina, you got to try something. <laughs> <laughs> That's how serious we take it in these parts. Apparently. <laughs> oh, man. And your experience with the soccer team, did you ever find yourself in like personal mentoring roles as far as like the girls handling uh, tough loss, for instance? Like, Yeah, as I got older and coming up through the team, I mean, the average average of the players is 20-something years old, 20 to 25. And then there were some older ones that had been around the team for a while. So I started out as the brother type figure when I first started. And then as I got older and my kids got older, I became more of the father type figure and they the old man with the gray beard and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so that side of it changed the role a little bit. Um, I had always prayed that it would be a place for me to share my faith and to be vocal about it when asked. Um, and there were a handful of believers on the team when I was there. So they would come to me for things or you could see them struggling with stuff. Um, player doesn't make the team, they get cut. Um, and just being able to encourage them to say, Hey, this is, this is a part of his plan for yeah. you. And, um, just challenging them for that stuff for wins and losses. I mean, I've been a part of, I remember when I was in eighth grade and I walked into the locker room as a state championship game for our football team. And I was, I did sports medicine when I was in eighth grade. And so I walked into the locker room after the game and I saw these guys that were like monsters to me and they were like bawling their eyes out. And I'm like, what is going on? Why are these guys so upset? I couldn't understand the passion that they had. And so I remember the, one of the coaches came up to me because I was crying. I was like, I don't understand why are these guys are so upset. And he goes, one day you will. One day you'll understand what it means. And so when I began to understand what it meant um, and then gaining this perspective from a spiritual standpoint to be able to step into their lives and say, hey, this is, there's more to this. And that, that passion that you feel is something that you can continue to build, build on to make yourself a better player, to move forward from it. I mean, we lost in 2011 in the World Cup in the finals to PKs and then coming back and winning it. You see 
you see transformation of people that fight harder and move harder. And sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, you got this. And yeah. I'm that outside. The training room is always a safe space. It's always one of those places where people can come in and they trust what you're going to do. You're there for their best interest. You're not there to make judgment on them as a player. And so you're there to help make them better, whatever that might be. That could be them crying on the table from their boyfriend that dumped them to whatever that situation was. So um, God put me in a couple opportunities there through the 16 years to be able to speak into their lives in a different way than maybe sometimes that I had anticipated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tara, and and I don't necessarily mean uh, I would assume trust wasn't an issue, but were, did you have to work through any insecurities or even jealousy that he's spending so much time with a bunch of athletic women? Like, was that ever something that you had to work through? I am so grateful that God protected my heart in that way. I really am. And I think it is because, you know, God gave him this opportunity. And um, from you know, day one, this was never anything that Greg conjured up the the, the opportunity. He didn't press his way in. Um, at every step of the way, it was clear that God was giving him the opportunity. And in that, I'm just so grateful that God guarded my heart from those feelings because obviously very— It would be very normal. Very, very normal. Now, we have a running joke that, like— the joke is, you know, Greg runs around the world with 20 beautiful athletic <laughs> women all the time. Like— Running joke, but honestly and truly, that was never Dang, that was never anything yeah. that was put in my heart. And I give God all the credit for that because would have been completely normal. I mean, there was two years where he was gone, like Greg said, over you know over twenty weeks for you know like half the year, more than half the year, he's away and literally traveling the world with beautiful athletic women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so totally normal, totally something that anyone would have understood had I been like, gosh, I'm feeling really jealous right now, or I'm kind of upset about this. But that was never a thought for me. My constant sort of yes was on the table for Greg, and it was every time they call, say yes, was basically the sentence that I would say to him. Every time they call, say yes. Because we had this conversation sort of here towards at the end of his time with with the national team, but it was, you know, we don't want to be 55, 60 years old and be looking back and be like, man, we, sh- we yeah. should have done that. Like, sh- we should have stepped into those opportunities. And so I'm just, I'm really, really, really grateful. That was not a part of my experience because yeah. had that been a part of my it experience, tough, oh, it would have been awful. Yeah. It would have been horrible. Yeah. I was, I was in California one time and I was working on one of the players on the table. This is in the days of Skype. <laughs> what is that? What is that? <laughs> For those of you that don't know what Skype is, it's very equivalent to FaceTime. So, but it was on a big computer. Facebook put so many people out of business. Like, yes. do you remember the, um, oh my gosh, there was something that came out and it was the first company that figured out a live feed where you could broadcast. And I can't remember what it was, but it lasted for like three weeks. Facebook was like, oh, we can figure that out. Something scope. Yeah, um, Periscope. 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 Yeah. Periscope. Yes. Periscope. Yes. Wow. That I was around for like ages. three weeks. All right. Yeah. Sorry, Greg. So she had, I'm working on a player on the table and all of a sudden my computer rings and it's Terracon in. And one of the things that I tried to always make sure that I did was talk about my family. So they knew about her. They knew about the boys. They would ask. I mean, some of the players were super kind and generous. My son played soccer, so they would send back cleats and stuff like that. And one of the players just grabbed the laptop and and I'm working on her, and she just starts talking to Tara like they're best friends. And Tara's like— And y'all never met? No, I was like, uh. <laughs> so she's walked, She's talking to this person. I'm going, oh, gosh, this could go really bad. And so, because this person was super extrovert and just, like, asking Tara all these questions and stuff like that. Oh, now, I just love your husband. He is so awesome. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> we were talking the other day about such and such. <laughs> And so one day that happened. And so Tara's getting to me and she's like, oh, she's great. And I'm like, she really is great. And she really was excited to talk to you. But we, she came to see me right before I was leaving to go on a, on a World Cup trip for um, in North Carolina. Tara came to visit at the stadium there. And one of the girls, that same girl, saw Tara outside the locker room waiting for me. And she ran up. She grabbed her by the arm. She started walking with her towards the bus as we were leaving. And it was like they were best friends. She's like chatting her up. And Mia Hamm is standing next to her. And she goes, Tara, you know Mia, right? And she's like, nope, never met her. (laughs) 
and she starts to continue to go to the bus. Like she's going to take Tara on the bus. And the general manager goes, she can't get on the bus. <laughs> and so for that side of it, it was always one of those things you tried to keep it where they knew what your family life was like. And mm-hmm. it was at the forefront so that you could be that sounding board if someone had questions. Yeah, she, uh, she never said no. She always said go. And um, I was grateful for that. Sometimes I needed her to say go because I didn't want to. And knowing that God had a purpose and a mission for me out there, yeah. she always said go. All right. So we'll, good job, by the way. I guess God and Tara, <laughs> good job. So wrap this up with, I'm not very educated on this. I have heard that it is somewhat of a majorly hot topic debated as far as equal pay for men's soccer team, women's soccer team. So I don't know a whole lot about soccer, but uh, so you, you can talk about soccer or whatever. I am looking at NBA and WNBA, and and I'm a little more comfortable to say this because one of uh, a close friend of mine who's a woman totally agrees with me. It seems like with again you you may have to educate me sure they both both genders may be working the same amount putting in the same amount of time but isn't it just a practical matter of NBA generates way more money and it would be the same if if I was working for a mom and pop shop that was just getting going I'm probably going to accept a lot less pay but if there was a bigger organization that was doing the same sort of thing with a thousand employees I'm probably going to get paid more. It just seems like more of a practical thing. But what's your opinion on the whole equal pay deal? <laughs> uh, yeah. All your soccer players are listening so, right now. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the biggest part for me is that I think that being treated the same is important. So having the ability to have the men's team flies on chartered flights to when they go to a big event. The men's team stays at a certain level of hotel. They have a certain level of food. Those quality of expectations should be the exact same. Um, I'm of the opinion that um, those are things that are the intangibles that should always be equal and there should never be one that gets a better um, representation than the other. From the payment side of things, if all things are considered equal in that the way that they get paid versus the way that the men's team gets paid, the women's team gets paid, there's so many nuances to that. The women's team have full annual contracts with them, so they have a contract for the year they get paid. The men's team does not have that. And so my opinion is if it's going to be equal, the contracts need to be the same. So I'm 100% for them making the equal amount of revenue because it's shown that financially they bring in the same amount of revenue in the States. Gotcha. The World Cup pays six or seven times the amount for the men's side. So the payout is so much more. So there's no equal revenue sharing in that side of it because that's not the same money coming in. I think Landon Donovan's goal in South Africa when they scored was worth like something ridiculous, like $12 million. One goal was worth that to advance him to the next round where they got $250 million. And that doesn't happen in the women's game. The women's game was, I think it was $1.4 million for the purse in 2019. The men's was, I mean, it was just astronomically different. So you can't compare apples to apples like that. There are certain things that should be compared that way and it should be equal. Um, But I think it's important to look at Every bit of that, I mean, yep. because an NBA player and the revenue, the what they bring in um, to their team. I mean, I think I saw Joel Embiid was making like fifty-five million dollars. <laughs> I mean, that used to be that used to be the budget for salaries for three or four teams, <laughs> and he's making that for one annual year of a contract. Well, I don't know how much revenue the WNBA brings in, but it's not that for one player. And so he's bring, either selling a lot of jerseys because he's have value to that. And if they're bringing that same amount of revenue in from the TV shares, then maybe it should be equal. But they're, it's not happening. Yeah, It's a tough situation. It's, you're always going to get in trouble by saying one yeah. thing or the other. I've always stayed out of it. I just think that you put all the apples on the table. They should be compared apples to apples, not apples to oranges and what people get. So compare yeah. it apples to apples, and I'm fine with it being equal. Yeah. I love seeing... NBA players that I grew up with, anytime current day salaries are mentioned in conversation, podcasts, like, uh, you know, the halftime, the former NBA players are just like, 
Say that number again. Mm-hmm. Like there, I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking Charles Barkley. Carmel, yeah. I mean, the the big names are just like I cannot believe what they're getting paid. It's crazy. Yeah. Best way to get your book? I saw it's on Amazon, Seacoast Bookstore. Are those the best two places? Those are the best two places. I also have a um, a hardcover edition um, on my website. Nice. Waitingonwonders.com. Nice. Are you going to do an uh, audio version? You know, people have asked me for an audio version. Can I borrow the podcast stream to sure. do an audio version? Oh, of the heck book? yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Then yes. With AI now, you could probably get Snoop Dogg's voice to read the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> probably not wrong. For the record, AI did not write my book. <laughs> you T-Banks. have to specify can, nowadays. T-Banks wrote the book. I can concur with that. <laughs> I wrote every word. <laughs> so so we'll we'll end it here. Tara, how do you feel that worship male worship leaders at Seacoast make three times the amount that you're making? <laughs> that is a joke, people. That is a total yeah. joke. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. There's a link in the show notes to our podcast Facebook page where we talk about these episodes and share some behind-the-scenes information, including guests we're booking. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. 